Welcome in to another episode of the Half Court Press Podcast. I'm John Niatawa. He is Chris Hetty here to talk about our local hoop teams. And of course, this week we are sponsored by Buffalo Wings and Rings, always fresh, never frozen, located at 120th and L. Stop by for some good eats mm-hmm. and uh, some good sports watching. I know it, it seems like a great place to watch basketball yeah. in this I guess as we turn to March, yeah, it's still February, but we're about to get into March. Yeah, we're about we're almost to the best month. Almost to the best we're month. Very close. Uh, one of the teams, I, well, the team I cover is rolling. Mm-hmm. The team you cover in Nebraska is uh, skidding. We'll try to break it all down here over the next thirty minutes or so. Uh, well, you want to start with Creighton? Yes, I do. Okay. I do. <laughs> I didn't think you. <laughs> there are things to talk about with Nebraska, but Creighton is not only are they like one of the best teams. Obviously, they're the best team in the state this year, but they're like starting to get some national I mean, I think people are starting to realize like oh wow they're they're super good yeah and, and it's so so tell me the stat that you you said off air before that they won they won four they beat four ranked teams in the month of february alone yeah well i think it was something like the the school record for number of wins against a ranked team mm-hmm. in a season was four mm-hmm. and then creighton won creighton beat four ranked teams in the month of february alone um it's just an incredible run and like you talk about sort of the national analysts. It seems like a lot of people now are just sort of like suddenly jumping on the bandwagon. But mm-hmm. like, it's hard to really say that anyone saw this coming. Even I would imagine uh, some of the most optimistic Creighton fans, maybe even the Creighton coaching staff. I mean, uh, to think that they could have flipped the switch and found a groove um, so quickly and so distinctively in the middle of January, just like it's a little bit mind boggling because, you know, about six weeks ago, this Creighton team lost to Georgetown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that it wasn't its best defensive game for sure, but the Jays um, were kind of beat at their own style, own game. It was like a up and down push pace, tempo, uh, uh, up tempo game. And, and Georgetown essentially just made more shots than, than the Jays. I think perhaps the Jays kind of went in with, with a mentality of like, Oh, we can outscore this team. And they weren't able to, uh, but that, like at that moment, it was like, okay, well, what is what exactly is this team, you know, capable of? It seems like it's turned the corner a little bit defensively, but has it really made enough of a jump to where it can win games with that? And then offensively, you know, coming off the heels of a Georgetown game, you're like, well, well, there's a lot of sort of uh, a lot of punch there and a lot of potential, but perhaps it's the ceiling is sort of capped a little bit because the Jays don't have a traditional big man. There's they're lacking some size, but man, they have really, um, you know, whatever questions we were asking six weeks ago, I feel like they've answered everyone, um, in an emphatic fashion. I feel like they've found a groove with their small ball attack and really maximize that and put other teams in binds. And then they, on the, on the other end, defensively, they found a way to use their quickness to their advantage. I feel like it was really evident against Butler on Sunday. They forced 16 turnovers for Butler and like Butler is, you know, fundamentally sound, sure-handed team as, as sure-handed as anyone in the country. I don't think that the Bulldogs have had 16 turnovers in more than a month in a game. So what Creighton did forcing 11 steals just in terms of its ability to like rotate quickly and um, help one another on driving lane, help plug driving lanes, um, contest inside to make it a little bit tougher for guys to finish. Um, and then they're just kind of bringing that tenacity and grit. They've had that piece all year, but it's really sort of elevated. I feel like as they've um, gained some momentum and some confidence 
and uh, have started to make this run. But yeah, like they've won nine of ten, mm-hmm. and I try to sort of make a comparison to some of the hot streaks going on across the country, um, because as you said, you know they're playing really well, and that, like coaches across the Big East are like, man, Creighton, this is they're playing as good as anyone in the country. And I was yeah. like, are they? And they kind of are. I mean, um, when you talk about the, rank, the 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 good teams they've beaten, the ranked teams, I mean, really to go nine and one over a ten game stretch in a major conference is extremely difficult yes, yeah um just because you're gonna get clipped at some point you would think well that's 10 games that means that you're 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 gonna have played at some point especially i mean how many teams are in the big east yeah 10, uh, ten teams right so, yeah so you go nine and one that means you've likely played some of the top time and, and still beaten them right like that means yeah. and one on the road too because right. obviously you can't just like chill at home during yeah. conference play um, but yeah, I mean, Kansas is undefeated in February. I feel like Michigan turned a corner and so they're like six and one Kentucky's six and one, um, Dayton's rolling, but BYU has made a, made a big push, but like Creighton's right there in that group with the amount of wins that it's had. When you look at its numbers, like the Jays are shooting 45% from three in their last five games, you know, um, it's absurd. Yeah. Which is, especially in February, you yeah. would think the numbers might dip a little bit in conference play. Now that teams have seen you a little bit, they know your tricks and what your go-to plays, but no, the Jays have actually gotten better. They're assisting on like 64% of their makes. Um, they are, I mean, you look at the margin of victory that they've had. They were up by 35 against Butler, yeah. which was ranked number five in the country at one point in the year. And just, three days before playing Creighton pushed Seton Hall to the limits um, in a game in Newark. You know, the, 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 the Bulldogs, I think they lost that game on a last second tip in with like 0.6 seconds left to Seton Hall. So they're, you know, even though Butler is not the same team it was in January, it's still capable. And they showed that against Seton Hall. And then three days later, Creighton's up that doubled them up at 70 to 35 with like 10 minutes ago in the game. So the Jays are just like, they're, they've really found their groove, and I guess the question will be, can they maintain it? If they can't maintain it, will the drop-off be so significant that they can't yeah. still reach their goals? I guess that may, like maybe there's a little bit of regression. Like, they're not going to shoot 45% from three the rest of the way. Right. So if they're shooting but 40... Can they, but, can, but can they can they win a couple games if they shoot 38% in three straight games? Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Like, can they, can they at least not totally tank? Which it seems like it's so interesting because... I mean, I was—I can't remember what I was doing, but I saw your tweet that they had finished the the first half against Butler on like what it was a seventeen to one run, seventeen, 17 to two, yeah. run, and that they had shot ten of eighteen from three. And I was like, there, there is just sometimes yeah. where teams just kick in a gear, and it doesn't matter who they roll. Like it does, it like in a very, very small vacuum. Nebraska basketball had this last year late, and it was a little bit different. But with seven scholarship players, they you know they beat Iowa, they go to the Big Ten tournament. You know, they, they win a couple games that they absolutely shouldn't. And and it's all, like, just you captured this small moment. There are a couple plays that are really working. Everyone, for whatever reason, starting to knock down shots. And everything just clicks at once. And it's so interesting that, again, yeah, like you said, it happens in the middle of January. And all of a sudden, they're a three seed, could be a two seed. They're actually in this battle for the Big Ten East. They, you know, you, you can only imagine what they could potentially do uh, in, in New York in the Big East tournament like it's so they're they're like one of the most terrifying teams right now and I think it's so interesting because I think when this rolls into March I mean regardless of what happens in the next three games what happens in New York 
I think that Creighton is going to be a trendy pick for an Elite Eight team or a Final Four team where in this season where, I mean, you look at, you know, you look at Ken Palm, you look at their their top, you got Kansas, Baylor, Gonzaga, Duke, San Diego State, Dayton, and then after that, you have Michigan State, who's all right, Maryland, who's all right, West Virginia, who's all right, Michigan, who's all right, Ohio State, who's all right, Louisville, who's all right. Like, you've got so many teams that I don't, I don't think that Creighton is much worse than Maryland or Michigan State. Yeah. Like it's it's just and 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 I wouldn't have said that in the middle of January. And so I feel like all of a sudden they've just captured this momentum and and they're they're just kind of bulldozing through everyone. I'm, in January, we what we talked about. I feel like on this podcast was like, okay, Creighton has flaws. It's obvious. Yeah. Don't have size um, and not a lot of depth. And their top players are playing a lot of minutes, and they do rely on the three point shot. Like they got to hit those those threes. And so you're like, you know. It was kind of like, it was kind of like they've it. got flaws and their flaws are are great enough that like they've got a ceiling here. Yeah. And all of a sudden those flaws are still there. They're there but they're they're they've found a way to like flip it. Mm-hmm. It's like they're small but hey that means that now they can uh, really push tempo uh, to a higher degree that can take advantage of your mismatch or the mismatch that they have with their four man versus your f- slower footed four or maybe they'll go with five guards and and beat your five man uh, with their quickness, and then on the other end, defensively, they're flying around, moving, uh, sh- switching screens, just uh, active hands, and they're making it tough to finish inside because they're plugging up driving lanes. And so suddenly, you're just like, "Oh, it's way too hard to yeah. drive in there. I'm just going to shoot this three. Yeah, and yeah, it gets Marquette, and they shoot thirty three threes and make eight. Yeah, at home, and, and then you get long rebounds. You got in transition, right. and you're playing and going, right into what Creighton right. wants. Yep, uh, the lack of depth, you know obviously I think you would like to have one or two more bodies to go through the long haul of the season, but it's really helped this core group of seven players, eight, if you had Sharif, um, they found, they found the roles. Mm-hmm. Like they had to sort of settle into what figure out, Hey, what works for this team? We got to go. And, and then they got a lot of reps together doing once they found out what works exactly what they want over again and i and i actually think so that like the lack of depth has worked in in some ways yes i think that at this point in the season in some ways i think coaches prefer in a perfect world to have seven eight guys they know exactly what they're going to do i agree everybody knows their role it's not it's not an you know and especially when you've got three guys who can score at will, four four guys that can really score at will with Damian Jefferson too. If you want to add him, shoot in there. Denzel Mahoney. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. Oh. I mean, so five guys. Christian who, Bishop had nineteen that. Who, like, who? <laughs> right, right, right. But it's a good point. Yeah, See, you're, you're proving ridiculous. my point right. that at a certain point, it's important. Everybody knows their roles and knows like, all right, Marcus is seven, is is five for five from three. He's got it today. I, I'm not gonna. I don't need to dominate the ball. He needs to continue to shoot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everybody is mixing in in this in this great way, um, and it's just it's it's really 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 impressive. Yeah, I mean, and and when it when it clicks and it works well, I think one of the things that um, has really stood out to me just over the last week, and it kind of goes to what you're saying in terms of like recognizing what the opponent is going to do, and then coming up with a counter. Mm-hmm. So against against Marquette, the Jays dealt with a team that really pressed up on them. And a lot of teams do this, by the way. They, they pressure the ball as much as they can, try to make Creighton's guards uncomfortable. Maybe they get a little physical, blowing up ball screens, slapping hands, uh, maybe holding or shoving a little bit. I felt like Marquette was towing the line a little bit. The refs let them play, and so they could kind of 
play this sort of physical branded defense, really aggressive. Um, but Creighton had to adjust to that. So for the first 10 minutes of that game, I think the Jays were 5 of 17 from the floor. But the thing about this team is like, well, one, they've seen it before, but also I feel like they just, um, they've, they've developed that because of their balance, their um, unselfish nature, like they're able to say, okay, what, what is, what plan A was, whatever it was, like move on. Mm-hmm. Plan B, we're good. And so against Marquette, you know, they start 5 of 17 from the floor. Not a good start offensively. And they finished, I think they shot for the final 30 minutes of that game, 55% from the floor. Wow. Um, just sort of sliced up Marquette and took advantage of the way Marquette was playing, extended out, spaced out defense, and then Creighton sort of just driving inside and yeah. attacking inside. And then that opens up the three ball. And um, so I thought that was interesting. And then against Butler, uh, the Bulldogs were really – I mean, they they did what a lot of teams do. They tried to stick to uh, Tyshawn Alexander and Mitch Ballack on the wings and not give up jump shots to those guys. And they tried to take away the uh, I think it was the second play of the game. Christian Bishop uh, had the, had a ball had the ball at the, like the top of the key and faked a handoff and drove and dunked. And so Butler was like, okay, well we're not going to allow that anymore. So their big started sagging off a little bit. And every time there was a ball screen or a handoff. Marcus Zagorowski would dribble around and be like, I'm wide open, so yeah. I guess I'll shoot this. Yeah, like, yeah, okay. yeah. And he made all seven of his threes. So, I mean, it just seems like the Jays have um, – uh, they, they're they they're able. Maybe it's experience. Maybe it's just kind of uh, – you. I mean, obviously you credit the coaching staff, certainly. Um, maybe a little bit of mental toughness in there too. Their, their ability to just sort of say, okay, we're dealing with this. These are the tactics the team is using to try to slow us down. Well, we have countermeasures, and we're just going to go to them. And um, everyone's ready to sort of step up. You know, if, if Tyshawn Alexander's being mugged and hounded, then Mitch Ballack is ready to take some shots. Yeah. Or Damian Jefferson is finds the opening. So that's what has been working this month. Um, and so I'm very, obviously, curious to see what other teams come up with to try to slow these guys down. Um, and curious to see if... Uh, if the Jays can continue to adapt and evolve. Cause like what they've done from a progression standpoint from January 16th till now has been incredible. Like, I don't know yeah. how many teams have made this type of jump before in the middle of a season to and, where they, and now you have, and now you have like, especially in a couple of weeks when you start tournament play, now you have like, you got to prepare for Creighton in a day and a half. Yeah. Or or a day or an evening. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, well now you now you well they did this and they, last time we played them in January and now they're a new team so what are we supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like right. well, how are we supposed to do X Y and Z? I think they just become a really difficult matchup. Um really quickly. Yeah, let's talk about seeding. What, yeah, what they're, do you think? they're currently slated bat bracket matrix which has a ton you know it, i can't remember i don't know how many brackets it i think of, to, it changes by the day but it looks like 103 like today 103 total brackets yeah, projections 103. oh okay yeah yeah there it is so their so their current rank is they're they're currently slated as a three seed with an average of a 2.76 seed basically so they are the highest three seed is what it would be what do you feel about that do you feel like they can do a two Three seats sound about right. Like what? What? What's kind of the feeling in terms of the NCAA tournament? Yeah, that three seats sounds about right for where they are right now. But they could definitely work into a two, mm-hmm. playing at St. John's, um, Georgetown at home. Another chance for a quad one win with Seton Hall. I guess St. John's is a quad one game as well. 
um, but Seton Hall at home. So if, if Creighton's able to pick up a couple more quality wins there and then perform well in the Big East tournament, uh, certainly a two seed. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you're if Creighton's a Big East champion, um, either conference tournament or um, regular season, mm-hmm. it seems hard to keep them off the two line, especially yeah. given the fact that the Jays haven't had any bad losses. Um, they're you know top five in the country in, ter- in terms of amount of qual- uh, quad one wins. You know, like played a tough enough schedule, and uh, when you. I mean, I know the committee doesn't like to use the quote-unquote eyeball test, but you watch them play, and yeah. it's like what this team is now, it's totally different than what it was in November when it got boat raced by San, uh, San Diego State mm-hmm. uh, or, or lost to Michigan. Um, it's it's obviously a different team. And so the, 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 I thought it was really interesting you brought up that thing about sort of preparing for Creighton in the NCAA tournament. I thought it um, – if the Jays can get to a two seed or a three seed or a two seed, assuming they stay on their current track, what a benefit that would be for them uh, to have that first round game against a team that, even though it has the extra prep time, just most likely now there are sometimes some really good 15s and 14s yeah. that just get maybe they found a groove late or they are underseeded or whatever. Yeah, but most likely you're at an athletic advantage and a talent advantage over a team that sure has extra time to prepare, but they just can't execute. So whatever strategy they come up with, they just can't execute it to a high enough level to to knock you off. Whereas the last two times that Creighton's been in the tournament, it's played Rhode Island and played Kansas State, and both of those teams had had extended prep time, and they're, they're defensive-oriented teams, so they were able to come up with some clever schemes to knock Creighton off what it wanted to do, what it was comfortable with, um, had that extra, um, well, it was really normal prep time mm-hmm. to get ready for the Jays. And so that Creighton couldn't take advantage those last two years of having that quick turnaround. And so um, that may be really beneficial this this time around for the Jays. If they're at a two or a three and they're able to win that first round game and then suddenly they're playing, um, whether it's a 6'11 six, six or 7'10, and, and that team has had a day to try to get ready for everything yeah. that Creighton does offensively. And, I, and, I was, it's so and, cute. and to prepare for a team that you just don't see very often right. with like, a six-seven center and a team that likes to play five guards at times, and with you know the the skill and speed and uh, just sort of overall unselfishness that the Jays have within their backcourt, it's not yeah. something you really see. And then, so the tournament in general, it's all about matchups. Like it's yeah. all about. And then, so if you play this game, the six seeds and the seven seeds who they could potentially potentially among those, you have Butler, Ohio State. This is according to bracket matrix, right? So yeah. right now you've got. Iowa, Ohio State, Butler, who I think Ohio State would be really interesting, I think, with with, uh, with Creighton and, and Iowa in some ways, too. Um, the seven seed, you got BYU, Marquette, Wisconsin, Texas Tech. Yeah. So, the, like, the, I think what's going to be interesting is you've got a couple, I mean, you've got to deal with uh, Chris Holtman, or you have to deal with Butler, who knows, uh, who, who obviously knows Creighton pretty well. You've got to deal with Wisconsin and Texas Tech. Texas Tech obviously went to the Final Four net last year. They know what it takes. You've got Marquette, who knows Creighton. Like, it, obviously, this isn't like an easy path for anybody in the NCAA tournament. But, it gives but you that an idea. second game is going to be so interesting because there's all this weight hanging on Creighton to make it past that first weekend. And in that second game, they are going to, in some ways, I feel like, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in some ways, Creighton's all, in my opinion, has always kind of been an underdog in that second game, or they've been, 
you know, the the kind of playing spoiler. The only time they've been the favorite, I think, right. is with Doug McDermott. And all of a sudden... Uh, may, well, I take that back. Kyle Corver's senior mm-hmm. year, probably, they were um, projected to advance. Sure. But they, no, they didn't even make it to the second round. I think they lost in the first round that year. So now, it, so, so now, all of a sudden, Creighton is the two or the three with the target on their back. They've got this history, and you've got Texas Tech coming into town. Yeah. Or you've got, you know, Wisconsin, who is a gross team that plays it really slow and tries to junk it up. Like it, that, like the, the dynamics of Creighton's potential, you know, in sub tournament run is, is among the more interesting ones I can, I can think of. I also think just real quick, the Creighton's potential for a two seed is on whether or not they can win out and they can make a run in the Big East tournament. I agree with you. If they either win the league or win the tournament, I think they have, they absolutely have a case cause they don't have a bad loss and, yeah. and what they've done. Um, I think if the Big 12 ends up getting two one seeds with KU and Baylor, that bodes well for Creighton's two seed. Because it seems like that that's what's going to happen. Yeah, Kansas maybe. Unless Baylor, Baylor loses once. somebody in, like early in the tournament and they lose another game. So if KU they, seems like right. a lock for, for a one. And if Baylor somehow slips down, uh, then I think that that bumps everybody down. Just and it, and it seems like Gonzaga and San Diego State are going to stay ahead of Creighton. Yeah. I guess if they were both to lose another game that they shouldn't, um, maybe that changes. But so there's four teams right there, and then and then Maryland know. is also a two seed, which is which Maryland we'll is. See. We'll see. Yeah, like they could if get they upset early up. in that big. D- but you would also have tournament. to say like whoever comes out of the Big Ten with the most wins sure. seems to be it, yeah, like it's such true. a gauntlet that yeah. that team would be deserving of a two. Mm-hmm. The ACC is is that league deserving? I mean, I know the committee doesn't look at it and say, "All right, we have to have a team from each conference yeah. at the one." T- they don't look. At, they try not to look at it like that, and they but claim that they don't. But doesn't winning but the ACC does it, mean something? Yeah. Or yeah. does it make sense to have the ACC, which is so top loaded? You have basically Duke, Florida State, and uh, uh, Louisville at the top, and then mm-hmm. everyone else is just like, eh. <laughs> "Can you put all their like? Are all three of those teams worthy of a two? Right. Even though they essentially just." rolled through a conference is not very good yeah. you know like i i don't know what the sort of optics of that would be and if the how the committee would weigh that um but certainly creighton has a shot so yeah we'll absolutely. see if they can do it all right but we're going to switch over to nebraska the huskers lost to illinois 71 to 59 um well we're recording this on a tuesday so it was just last night mm-hmm. uh we'll talk huskers in a second but first a word from our, our sponsor buffalo wings and rings <laughs> Chris, Nebraska. The Huskers honestly hung in pretty well mm-hmm. without their point guard, Cam Mack. Ivan uh, Uwe Drago was dealing with a back issue and played one of back his spasm. back yeah. spasm, played one of his better games. Mm-hmm. Um, and Illinois didn't necessarily play great, nor seemed incredibly engaged. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it was tied in the mid- midway point of the second half. Yeah, tied at 31, and then it was tied at 49. Um, what do you what what do we make of this game and in, in especially in, in terms of uh, the context of this now twelve game losing streak? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's indicative of Nebraska season in some ways where they're close but they're not close enough. Like they're they they tied it twice. 
off of some pretty pretty good runs um, while Illinois was kind of jacking around, um, but they never led, and that's kind of been the the knock I think on Nebraska in some ways where you know you go to Indiana for server time but you don't win, um, you go to Rutgers and you lose at the buzzer. You go to Maryland, and you lose by two. You know, this is kind of another one of those where you go to Illinois, you've got it tied, you've got an Illinois team that's clearly distracted, clearly doesn't really want to, like, clearly thinks they're just better and they can show up, and Nebraska's without their starting point guard and playing well. Like, that's a lot of things colliding at once where a lot of good, a lot of things have to go extremely well for Nebraska to win, and so once they tied it at 49, you're like, all right, well, this is it. Um, this could be the the first road win. This could be the win that they needed. Um, and then Illinois goes on an eleven one run. Game's over. Like that's about a ten a ten zero run is all you really need to beat Nebraska. Yeah. Um, so I mean I think it was it was encouraging in some ways. Ivan Ivan has taken such a big step forward. I mean I I would be so interested in to see what his percentage what his shooting percentage is within like three feet even in the past two months. Because at the beginning of the year, it was almost like he never really had a like a could control the ball. It was like he, you know how you know when you shoot, you have actually control of it. But it was almost like he was bouncing it and then like catching it midair and trying to throw it. Where like it, it like it just never really seemed just like he continually had continually bobbling. Yeah, yeah, like it never. Just, and it, that's why it was rolling off the back of the rim and banking right. off the back. It was just like kind of gross. So so that's what you take from this game, I think, is Ivan. There were some encouraging things there. He's su- he's such an interesting guy because I, I, I don't know what I thought going in. I kind of probably thought, obviously, I didn't think he was as tall as like Kofi Coburn, but I thought that's what Nebraska was getting, just sort of like this athletic freak who could impose his will on the paint and teams would be nervous about driving into him. But mm-hmm. he's not that. You know, he's not an above-the-rim player. He's definitely an athlete, and yeah. he's thick, looks like a linebacker. But – uh super raw in his t- and and you kind of told us that this was the case he's 17 from France like hadn't played a lot of basketball in his should life. be like a junior in high school yeah yeah, yeah. so you knew it was going to be a project but um so I, I mean he's like a lot of guys on this team where you're just like what will he be in two what could years he be? yeah and what's like, his ceiling right. and what yeah because I think that and it and mm-hmm. Ivan is even more interesting in some ways because he's like he's the opposite of what Fred Hoiberg wants at that position like they don't want to back to the basket center. They yeah. don't want to throw it down and have him, you know, they want trying Kevin to back Cross, somebody down. Right? They like, want a Kevin. Yeah. Cro- they want a Derek Walker and Delano yeah. Banton and Shamil. Like that's what they want. Like I, in the Pick Six podcast, we went through Fred Hoiberg's best team, the last team that he had that got upset by UAB. They were a three seed. Uh, they didn't. They didn't play a guy bigger than six nine. They just did. They yeah. were long, but like they didn't have a big guy. Um, and Ivan is is not quite that. He's not going to shoot further than ten feet away. Um, but I think it's it's an interesting counter, and it's I wrote this forever ago, but he is Fred Hoiberg's solution to the Big Ten. Where like in some ways, like he and Kofi, I mean they they went back and forth. They, they really, really did. I thought they did. They, yeah, that like, Fred Hoiberg said last night on the radio, they went toe to toe, and in some, they which is really like Kofi. Did. Kofi's an NBA player. He I think. is, I, and he I, is. I imagine he he looks like Ivan's big brother. I mean he's seven yeah, foot yeah. two ninety. And Ivan six nine. I mean, one of the first offensive possessions of the game. Ivan gets it, puts his shoulder into Kofi, and lays it in. And I was no. like, "Okay, I the kid, the kid like, wants Dang. to play. Yeah. The kid, like the kid, sees his competition, and he's like, I can be this.' Yeah. So I don't know. You know, I think that when you look at Nebraska's future, which is what 
I mean, it's it's easy to talk. It's much easier to talk about that now because there's only you know a handful of games left, and the season's like clearly over, basically. Um, what's he look like in the future? And I think that I don't think that he's a starter in the next couple of years. I don't think that he's somebody that's going to play you know, 25, 30 minutes, unless, you know, the one thing that Fred Herbert does well is when you're playing well, he keeps you in and, you know, you're in the final five. Right. And, and if that is the style of game that you want to play and it, and it fits. Um, but I think he could be a guy off the bench that gets, you know, eight and six or a guy that, that I mean, if he shoots at a really high percentage, he could, he could do wonders for, you know, coming off the bench and, and kind of being a second wave and being kind of the muscle to the speed that Fred Herbert wants to play with. Um, but so, but anyway, I mean, I think that that in general is the main takeaway because it's kind of the only takeaway. It's so interesting. I mean, it it's obvious when you watch it every night. I mean, the talent discrepancy is clear, and this is not a knock on Nebraska's players, but like they don't have Io Desumu running their offense. Yeah. Like that dude gets baseline to baseline in like three seconds. Um, he can dunk on you if you're not careful, and he finishes in so many creative ways. He went one on two in a fast break at one point, and was just like. This is easy backyard yeah. basketball type stuff. Um, and they got the huge dude, Kofi Coburn, inside. They got a veteran in Trent Frazier who can really defend. Like that. Every night you look at it and it's just like, man, how does Nebraska match up? So it's, I, I guess it's, it's always probably difficult to come away with a fair assessment of where the program is yeah. at or like what they've accomplished because night in and night out, they are at a disadvantage. Now, granted, I mean, they put this team together, so they kind of sure this is this is year one how they decided to go about it, the coaching staff. But I don't know what do you make of this month of February? Um, maybe the 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 streak as a whole, the losing streak. Like, do, are there signs of progress? Like, do you do you see this team getting better? I guess the question we posed to each other before we started recording is like after this Ohio State game on Thursday. Will you say definitively, like, okay, Nebraska's in a better spot today than it was a February month ago? 1st. February first. Yeah. February one. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, real, so let's go through February real quick. Okay. So February first, they have already lost one, two, three, four, five, six games in a row, and uh, February first is Penn State. Penn State was not a great game. Penn State, February is kind of the the month of uh, Nebraska comes out and they're like. We're gonna take the first four minutes off if that's cool with you. There's like a quick five minute break and then we'll be back, like right after these, right, right. after this. Um, like catch us in the first media timeout. Uh, so that happened in the Penn State game. So they lose 76 64. Then they go to Iowa and it's the, they're down 38. Yeah. Iowa just crushes them, like probably the lowest point of the season so far. Um, because it, at that moment, it felt like, all right, any progress they made as a team, it didn't look great. And then for whatever reason, they go to Maryland. And they lose by two. Right. Um, had, had a chance to, to yeah. had a chance, well, a chance to tie. Yeah. I, I think they're down one. That, that's yeah. right. I think they were down. Or maybe it was tied, and Cam had a. I thought it was. I thought they were down one with Cam's layup, and then and then they, they made one free throw. Maybe. Free th- yeah, yeah. Um. So so they lose seventy two to seventy, and then they play Wisconsin at home, and Brad Davidson goes off, and they lose eighty one sixty four, host Michigan at home. Uh, down by three at halftime. They lose the second half by, I think it was 21. Um, and then you have Illinois, and again, it's tied, and then you kind of slip away. So they've lost all these games. I, I think the one thing I would say, um, Nebraska is, I remember having a conversation with one of our editors early in the year, early, earlier in the year, 
And he was like, they're not going to win a Big Ten game. Like, this is the worst Power 5 team I've ever seen. And now this is really, really early in the season. Like so, after Southern Utah, after maybe? After Southern Utah, <laughs> right. So, so, so you, you take into consideration where this team was. And where this team was, you know, they lost to George Mason. They lost to, obviously, UC Riverside and Southern Utah. They lose to North Dakota. They had to go to overtime to beat Southern. They had to go to overtime to beat Southern. And and so even in this 12-game losing streak, have they improved? Have they changed everything? Like, have they, have they in, you know, changed the, who they are and, you know, every single night they have a chance to win? I don't know if I would go that far, but I would say they're exiting February in some ways. Like, I, I almost feel like they're exiting February and they haven't lost any significant ground. That's the way I would probably phrase yeah. it. Like, I don't think that they're heading into March battered and bruised. And, you know, obviously they've got some, some you know, Cam Mack is, is apparently sick and Ivan's got back spasms and Monte Gavas is out for the year with a hand injury. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll be completely honest. If you would have asked me, you know, in early December, so currently Nebraska is slated to play Purdue in the first round of the Big Ten tournament. And... If you would ask me in early January, hey, do you think they could win that game? I'd say absolutely not. But Purdue has lost four in a row. Purdue's just okay. They're not going to have a lot to – like maybe maybe Nebraska can win in, right. in March. And and so that to me says j- – just from my instinct, going toward – well, maybe they actually can rather than, well, of course they wouldn't because they're horrible. I think that they are – they have gained a little bit of ground maybe, but they haven't necessarily lost a bunch of momentum. And I think that in part of that – Part of that is just because, like, you also have to understand, like, this team has a ceiling, right? And they've hit it. Like, they're not going to, they're, they're like, they have a ceiling in every game because, again, they tied Illinois twice and then they couldn't take over. Yeah. And they also have a ceiling for, I think, just overall because of their talent level. And, you know, I was thinking about this. Like, if I challenged Fred Hoiberg to a three-point shooting contest, right, and we did it, a hundred times i might win two or three times right just just based Maybe. on just just based on there might be a round say we sh- say we shoot 10 threes where he just he misses like four in a row uh, on in the corner or he you know he, he just he has an off night and i happen to be on and i and i may so so that or if i challenged wandale robinson from the football team to a, a 15 or 20 yard race right and we do that a hundred times i might win once or twice because he slipped when he started because he rolled his ankle or you know just because something might happen that's that's nebraska where they're not as talented as all these teams and when they step onto the floor on paper they shouldn't win but they are good enough that if they just do what they're supposed to do and things go the right way they might they might actually yeah. win and so to me i you know that that shows not like significant improvement they're not going to go on a run in my opinion i don't think and if they do that would be that'd be really fun to cover but I think that they exit February having not completely in this says this is weird to say within the tent, the 12 game losing streak, but I think they maybe exit February about the same, if not a little bit better than they were in when they began February. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. And then the other thing, like sort of subplot to it all is like, and you guys laid this out in the pick six podcast. So if you want to flip over and listen to the, that conversation i'm sure it was, it was a fantastic one but like it may not matter 
because right. next year you're right. adding so many new pieces that like a lot of these guys that did they show the right this, the amount of progress you wanted to was their ceiling I don't know. Does it doesn't matter because doesn't matter. they might get replaced. So here, so like, this is a good point. And be a whole new team. And this is one thing we talked about a little bit on the pick six, and I won't totally relitigate it, but it's worth bringing up right now. Where the thing that Sam brought up was, you know, they're running a system that doesn't quite fit with their players. And he was saying there were things that Nebraska should have done in that Illinois game, if that that, that they shouldn't have done if they wanted to win. And my point was, well, the point, in some ways, isn't to win. It's to run the system. Yeah. The point is to make sure that everybody knows the system and that you're running it the way that you want to run it four, five, six years down the road. And so when I was, you know, before the pick six today, um, Sam had asked me like, hey, we're going to talk about a little bit about the future of Nebraska basketball and um, just, just what they need to do in the future and all these things. So I sat down and I was like, okay, well, let's make a scholarship chart, chart for next year. And let's look at, I played a game and I was like, well, let's look at what maybe the rotation looks like for next year. And off the top of my head, and this is me, this is not Fred Hoiberg and all the coaches, and you know they obviously make these decisions, but I can imagine a scenario in which you're starting five, four out of your starting five are new guys. Yeah. And your first rotation guy might be a new guy. Yeah. So you've got Cam Mack, and then you bring it, then, so, so your starting five could potentially be Cam Mack, and then... Teddy Allen, new guy. Shamil Stevenson, new guy. Delano Banton, new guy. Derek Walker, new guy. So in some ways, it's really, really encouraging that Ivan is playing well. It's really good to see. And it's encouraging that Kevin Cross has played well at, at points. It's, Thor's had a stretch. Thor's had a stretch. He, he's, he's a, it's great. Yeah. A majority of the minutes for next year will not be those guys. Yeah. So it's encouraging that Ivan's doing this, but it's encouraging in a way where in a year – when he's coming off the bench for Derek Walker, that's in, you know in the back of your mind. Well, he went up with Kofi. Like he can he can play. I feel comfortable. And he with knows this. it too. And he knows it yeah. too. Right. And that's not. I don't want to you know take anything from him and you know the, the improvements that they've made. But you also, it's in, it's so interesting to talk about this season because of that point. Does it really really matter? Yeah. Because next year you are so 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 different, and so. That's why this 12-game losing streak, like, it's a big deal because it's a school record and there's four games left and maybe they can win one and, you know, have they improved? You know, I, I think that we can get kind of lost in the small minutia of it because that's what you would do for, like, a normal team <laughs> yeah. and in a normal season, yeah. Yeah. like a year ago. And when, they, when they're losing 9 of 11, and it's like, does, now we can talk about this is a referendum on the program and Tim Miles and Isaiah Roby and X, Y, and Z. Like, you can actually get into it. And why did this actually happen this year? It's because they're just not good. One, they're just not good. And two, they are going like it's rare. I think that, you know, going into the season that it's going to be so different next season. Um, So, I mean, I I, I was going to say one thing I just want to add is like, I thought it was notable last night after uh, the the game, Fred Horberg, I think it was his press conference with reporters said it wasn't about effort tonight. Mm -hmm. So if they're not talking about effort, and sort of like program standards, you know, like doing the right thing in terms of following the rules at the end of the year, then I think you probably feel pretty good. I, com- I and, and maybe completely if, agree. like after Ohio State, that's something to watch is like if in the press conference afterward, if Fred Horberg's not talking about effort and it's more about just like, well, we gave up this run or, you know, we let uh, Caleb Wesson do things that we shouldn't have, you know, that is better than. Because, you know, at times this year, at times during the, this losing streak, 
it's been more about sort of like the mental side of things. Yeah, and I think that I think that and which kind of reflects on culture and program. Yes, and I it's a it's an incredible point because I will say there are probably a handful of games this year since since the beginning of the new year. So in 2020, they've lost every game but the Iowa game, right? So let's just take that chunk of games. I could probably point to two two or three games in which you could say Nebraska just didn't, the effort wasn't there, yeah. right? So probably Iowa, second half Penn State, um, maybe points of the Michigan State game, but that's even kind of a stretch. And that's what Fred Hoiberg wants. So that's, right. the, so that's the point where the losses have piled up. But in his mind, from what he did at Iowa State and talking to people from Iowa State back in those years, what he wants is the effort. Cause that's what, again, at Iowa State, they lost 10 in a row. And they end up 500 because they cleaned up in, in non-conference. Yeah, they did have a good um, They yeah. had a really good non-conference. Uh, but then they were ter- obviously terrible in the Big 12. Um, but the effort was there. And that's why the next year and the, next, and the year after that and the year after that, they knew how to play. Because they had, they had given that effort when they knew they were walking onto the court and had to give 150% because of their talent, because the talent level wasn't quite there. Um, so, I mean, it's the rest has got four games left. Ohio State on Thursday, Sunday against Northwestern, which is the game, which is so the game. It's just so interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to how I want to cover that. Um, just because it's like this is this is like their Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, and then you end at Michigan, a team figuring things out, and then at Minnesota, and then they're currently slated the 13 seed uh, in the tournament. So they play. They would play on Wednesday. They would play Purdue on the Wednesday of, of gotcha. uh, in, in March. So, I mean, there's at least five games left. I think they could maybe win one or one or two of them maybe, but it's interesting. Cause again, does it actually matter? Yeah. We don't know. Uh, we'll end this pod the way we always do. Yeah. Nebraska and Creighton. If they face off today, somebody said on Twitter that if I didn't say that Creighton wins by 30, they, I can't remember what the threat, I th- but I think I, it, I was given permission to walk away. Like walk you were like, like, like I could leave. <laughs> that's right. That's what it was. That's I what I it could was. get out. Here's the deal. Okay. Here's the only. Fred Hoiberg has never lost by thirty in a college basketball game. What was the game that? Oh no, we were looking it up during the during the Creighton, Creighton game, game because yeah. they won a ten row or whatever. Yeah. So I'll say, just based on that, I'll say Creighton wins by like twenty seven. What's crazy is like Nebraska is about the same, right? We'd say yeah, and, and Creighton but Creighton's a little bit better. Better, but and it was forty to nine. But but Creighton played exceptionally well that night. They, that was the the best that Creighton played in non-conference. They, they played super well. I think that that in some ways was a preview for what they could be. No, yeah. The only thing was is like Nebraska was just like it was built like Creighton, and mm-hmm. so I was after the game. You're thinking, okay, yeah, that looked really good from Creighton, but then again, how many teams is Creighton going to see that look like Nebraska? Right. But then now, as it turns out, Creighton can do that against teams that don't look like yeah, I know. that have size at the four and the five. I tell you, what, I tell you what, I think that they like. Neutral court, play at Baxter, whatever, Creighton by 27. But if Creighton goes on a 17-2 to two run, it's like 35. Yeah, I think the Jays would be ahead by 40 at one point in the game. I actually think would so, take too. take their starters 60-20? to 20? And, Yeah. Something oh, like that. gosh. Yeah. What a... Oh. Yeah, it's there's definitely a, a gap there. Yeah. We'll be back, I would imagine, next week to talk a little bit about uh, both teams and mm-hmm. where they're at. And um, maybe it'll be March. So we'll maybe... Dive a little bit more into sort Our of next podcast and, will be in March. Yeah. We're, we're almost there. Big things, big things. Very exciting. Special thanks to Buffalo Wings and Rings, our sponsor for this podcast, Always Fresh, Never Frozen. Be sure to check them out at 120th and L. Chris, 
thank you for your time thank you guys for listening we'll be back very soon